Well, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew. Or we will throw the words up on the wall. Just like they did in the early church. All right. (laughs) Matthew 6, starting in verse 14, says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you that you give us rest. God, we thank you that we have all gotten to experience a lot of rest this week. God, we just pray that as we rest, that we would, rather than long for our next time of rest, that we would be recharged and and ready to go back out into our world and change it for you. God, we pray that even as uh, this Christmas season passes, that we would always take time to remember what you've done, always take time to remember the sacrifice of your son. God, we pray that as we travel that that time would be restful. As we go back home, that we would be safe. Lord, we just ask that this time would would be about you, even as the holiday is wrapping up. God, we pray that this time right now would be about you. God, I ask that you would just destroy the man that I am, that God, you would destroy anything I'm trying to bring, that God, you would just kill the talk that I want to give, and instead that these words would be completely from you. God, we pray the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, that you would use this foolish preaching to save those who believe. God, to spread your gospel your good news of Jesus Christ. So God, we pray that you would bless this time, open our minds, stir our hearts. Pray this all according to your will. Amen. Well, I've been working at Grace uh, for close to six years now, uh, but I've been in college ministry for about a semester. And one of the things that I really love about college ministry uh, is my wife is able to really partner with me in it. I have a beautiful, amazing uh, wife whose name is Susan. We've been married for almost four years, or about a week shy. Uh, and we have just really enjoyed getting to know one another over four years of marriage, uh, but we were even together for three years before that. So we've had about seven years kind of getting to know each other and and hanging out and doing stuff. And over those seven years, uh, we've had a little bit, you know, of conflict. Like it's happened a few times. And in that conflict, uh, we have certain kind of maybe milestone conflicts that have happened in our lives where we kind of learn something very important about maybe conflict or the other person uh, or, you know, where the towels go. Uh, But we have one really important conflict in our lives. It happened about a year into our relationship. We'd been dating for about a year. We were in college, sophomore year, and it was the night of her brother's ring dunk. And Susan asked me if I would like to attend her brother's ring dunk with her. I said yes, and thus began what would become the night of Jacob's three mistakes. Okay. (laughs) The first mistake was that while I said yes with my mouth, in my mind, I thought, I do not want to go to this, right? I had this bad attitude. I didn't know a lot of people that were going to be there. I didn't really want to go. I just want to stay home that night. And so I had this bad attitude, but I said, you know what? I'm just going to lay down my life like Christ for her. You know, like I'm just going to pick up that cross and go to the party with her. And so in my mind, I made that decision, mistake one. 
Mistake two, we got to the party, we started interacting with people. I was nice and personable and talking and laughing all these different people. And while I was really nice to these random people we ran into, anytime Susan would try to talk to me or tell me something or interact, I would just shut down and just, oh, really? Okay, whatever. Oh, hey! And I I was just super mean just to her, just this passive aggressive, just, ugh, bad. Mistake number two, remember. Okay, so... And I acted like this the entire night, the entire evening. I was just this just meanie head towards her. Until eventually we were driving away. And that's when I decided, oh, you know, that, we just made it. Wow, good job, Jacob. You're such a servant leader. And so as we're driving, I decided, you know, I'm in a good mood now. And so I start talking to her and I say, hey, you know, this and this and that. And I know she's really quiet. And so while, we're, while she's driving us, I, I turn in and I ask, well, is something wrong? What? Something, something the matter? And of course, at that point, the dam broke. And she says, of course, something's the matter. You were a jerk. Like she noticed, she knew the game I had been playing all night. And she starts telling me about how, you know, that was very unfair of me. And it was very mean. And I'm, you know, just taking it in. I'm like, well, I don't really know what you're talking about. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I was that mean, you know, whatever. And, and we get to this point where we're driving. She's, you know, telling me all this stuff. And we reach a point where I tell her, about mistake number one, I say, look, well, I was just going as a favor to you. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> At which point she just stops the car. Uh, <laughs> still not quite to my house. We're pretty close to my house. But she stops her car in the middle of the street. And we're just sitting there in silence. And I start to ask, you know, like, what's, hey, what's, what's going on? And at, right as I'm asking, she reaches over ominously and unlocks the doors. And I realize she's kicking me out of her car. <laughs> so I look at her, make sure, kicking me out. Oh, yeah, kicking me out. Okay, so I get out of the car. But then, then I, I just had to make mistake number three, which was as I exited the car, I thought, you know, I... I should really probably get in one more shot, right? Like, that's really what the good, kind dating man should do. So I duck my head down, look into her beautiful blue eyes, the eyes of the woman who I would one day marry. I should look at her. I say, you are unbelievable. And then I slam the door shut and just walk away to my house where my car was not. It was actually at her house, so <laughs> I, <laughs> I did not have a vehicle. Um, but the truth is that a lot of us have found ourselves in that type of situation, right? A lot of us, maybe we, hopefully we haven't all been kicked out of cars, but a lot of us have experienced pain through a relationship. A lot of us have either had someone do something to us or we have done something to someone else that has hurt them badly. We all have experienced someone maybe tearing us down with their words. Or maybe we said something this morning to just bite at someone. Maybe we've experienced someone lying behind our backs, just spreading malicious lies and rumors. Maybe we've experienced abuse, whether it's physical or sexual or emotional or verbal. Maybe we have been the collateral damage on the side of the road from unfaithfulness in a marriage. The truth is that we've all been in a spot where someone has hurt us 
deeply. Or we hurt them. And our world knows this. And our world tells us that whenever you get hurt, whenever someone wrongs you, when someone crosses your path or betrays you, stabs you in the back, what you do is you grab that pain, you take that heartache, and you just bury it really deep down. You let it take root. And you put it way down deep and you allow it to then fuel what you do and how you think and how you act. You use that pain to then make your music better, right? Or your art better or your work better because that'll show them, right? You take that wrong that you experienced and then you use it to fuel yourself. And then you live this certain way and you prove them all wrong. That's why our heroes are often fueled by tragedy, We have heroes like Luke Skywalker, whose family was destroyed by stormtroopers. And so he takes that rage and that anger and he channels it and he goes and he destroys the empire. It blows up the Death Star because because he's got that pain started by that hurt. We have heroes like Harry Potter who are bullied, right? And they have to live under the stairs and eat English food. And that's, you know, and so... But he's in that situation and he uses though that pain. He finds, oh, I'm a wizard though. And so suddenly he uses that pain and that bullying and that hurt and he becomes a really great wizard and he beats the bully at Hogwarts and he he beats his bully family and he he wins, right? He proves them all wrong because he used that pain and that heartache. That's why we have heroes like Katniss Everdeen, who's currently in the theater, just murdering people at will because she was hurt, right? Her family was oppressed, and so what she did, she took all that anger, she took all that rage, she took all that oppression, and then she showed, she got a bow and she just starts, she's a teenage girl Rambo, just going on a rampage. And those are our heroes. Those are the people that we lift up and say, wow, what a, what a person, you know, what a guy, what a gal. Because they take that rage, they take that pain and that heartache, they take that betrayal and then they let it take root and they just, they prove everyone wrong. Our world tells us that we need to let that pain grow. But our Lord God in his scripture tells us something completely different. God tells us as believers, we are called to break, take that pain and let it go. We release it. We forgive. As Christians, God commands us to forgive because he knows something that hopefully some of us have stumbled upon in our own lives, which is that if you let that pain really sit in your heart, if you let that wrong really just rest in your mind, in your soul, that pain, that unforgiveness will destroy you. It will always destroy you. So instead, our God calls us to live lives that are known by our forgiveness, by our experience and our extension of forgiveness. So this morning, all I want us to do is just take a moment and really look at this idea of what does it mean to forgive? What role does forgiveness really play in our lives? To get us to that point, I'm just going to ask three really simple questions. One of them is just what is forgiveness? Or what is it? What's the definition? How do we see it play out? And then why do I really need it? Why do I need to experience or extend forgiveness? And then how? How do I receive it? If I have this great need, then how do I fill that need? How do I gain forgiveness? Very simply, forgiveness is just a clean slate. 
right? It's just kind of uh, the absolution of, of your debts. It's, it's the idea that you can go, right? Maybe you've done something wrong, but someone says, I, I forget of you. You know, I, I'm forgetting about it. You may go, right? Most of us know that and understand that. But for this morning, what we need to understand even more is the distinction between this idea of forgiveness and then of righteousness. Because oftentimes in scripture, we get the things confused, Okay, so forgiveness is this idea of you may go, your debt is gone. Righteousness is then you may come. Righteousness is being given, accredited something into your account. It's the difference between receiving a pardon or a parade, right? If you're given a pardon, maybe you've done something wrong, you've committed a crime, but then the governor or the president or someone can say, you know what, I pardon you. You Your slate is wiped clean. It's like you never committed the crime. You may go. You're no longer going to be held in prison. You no longer have to be sentenced to death, whatever. But giving, being given a parade, right, receiving a parade is very different. That means that you've done something, right, like you won the NBA finals or you're a Texas Aggie football player or something, and they just have this big parade for you, right? And they have floats and streamers and clowns, like scaring kids. And it's like this wonderful moment, right, where everyone is, ex- is excited. And it's this idea that you're given something more, right? Something uh, is put into your account. It's more than just a clean slate. We need to understand this difference because both of these things happen when I place my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. You see, when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, it's more than just forgiveness. I'm also made righteous. That's why Paul tells us in Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, He says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Paul is saying, look, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, yes, you are forgiven of your sins, but even more so, you are made righteous. You are given the righteousness of Christ. Christ lived a perfect life. He earned his glory. He earned his honor. He was brave. He was self-sacrificing. He was forgiving. He was patient. He had all of these traits and all these amazing characteristics. And that righteousness, those characteristics are given to me when I put my faith in him. It is credited to my account. I'm more than just forgiven. I am made righteous. And that righteousness is what is then given to me forever. If I realize that I'm a sinner, if I realize that there's nothing I can do to solve myself, to fix this world, when I realize that I have to put my faith in Jesus Christ, who is God, who came in the flesh, who lived and died for me, when I put my faith in the fact that he rose again three days later, proving his power over sin and over death, then I am made righteous. And the Bible is clear that that righteousness is eternal. There's nothing I will say. There's nothing I will do. Paul will say it, that there is neither heights nor depths nor angels nor demons. No power could separate me from the love of God. No power could separate me from that righteousness. Jesus himself said that we will never be snatched out of his father's hand. Nothing can take away that righteousness. So we need to realize that that righteousness is one and eternal, but that forgiveness We are commanded to continually seek. When you read scripture, you will see again and again it telling you to be forgiven, to seek 
forgiveness. That passage we read at the beginning that we're going to read here in a minute tells us to seek forgiveness. That's why Paul continued and said, For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Paul was using very specific language, saying, look, there is this propitiation, meaning there was this one time a year annual sacrifice that the high priest would perform, where he would go into the Holy of Holies, find the Ark of the Covenant, and he would put the blood of a lamb on it. So that when God looked down on Israel, he wouldn't see their sin, he would see that blood. He would see righteousness. And it wasn't that he looked down and he just, saw, he just forgave. It wasn't that he looked down and just, it was invisible. He was like, where'd they go? Like, it wasn't that it was just gone. It, there was something in place. There was something on top. There was a righteousness that was gained through the propitiation. And that, as I've said, is, is eternal. That does not go away. We no longer have to do that once a year because Hebrews tells us that Christ was the one sacrifice that lasts forever. That we no longer must go to the temple and perform sacrifices. For he was the one true lamb. The one true sacrifice. But yet, I'm still supposed to seek forgiveness. Why? After I committed my three grave mistakes on that night that will live in infamy, I had a long time to think because I did not have a car And so I had to walk to my friend's house who did have a car. And on my walk, I had time to think about just kind of what I had said, what I had done. And by the grace of God, I began to realize, wow, what a fool I have been. And so on that walk, I realized, wow, I said this wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Like I was completely wrong. Susan, I cannot believe, was actually nice to me and patient for most of the night. You know, like I could not believe what had transpired. I don't know. I, the, the veil was lifted. The fog was gone. I realized, oh my goodness, I've done all these things that are wrong. And I immediately thought, I need to call her. I need to call and ask for forgiveness, right? And I wanted her forgiveness. I needed that slate to be wiped clean, not because I was worried that my position as her boyfriend was ruined, right? Maybe I should have been, I don't know. But I wasn't really worried about that. I wasn't worried that something we had broken up. But I was worried that our relationship was suffering. Even though my position was not going to change, my relationship was going to be tarnished and broken. My relationship was going to be fractured because unforgiveness always wrecks relationships. That's why we need forgiveness so much because unforgiveness will always wreck your relationship with people. My story with uh, Susan would be a really downer, terrible story if it ended with, and yeah, we never talked about it again. And well, now we're married, so I don't know how that worked, but we never talked about it. Now we're still bitter and she's just grinding her teeth at me right now, right? That would be a terrible end to that story. If unforgiveness had reigned supreme, we realize that unforgiveness does not work in relationships. Maybe this holiday you were even back home with, you know, Uncle Jimmy and Aunt Edna, and she ran over his dog back in 1957, and they're still angry, right? Like, you know, there are still things like that in your family. There's things like that in your friend groups. You've seen relationships, friendships maybe break down and end. You've maybe even seen family members become estranged from one another. Maybe someone wasn't at your gathering this year because of unforgiveness. 
in the atmosphere. Unforgiveness will wreck relationships. You look out at our world, you will see international conflict. We see murder and genocide as the product of unforgiveness because one people group did something to another people group 500 years ago and they've never forgiven each other. And so they're fighting and killing to this day because unforgiveness wrecks our relationships with people because we're all broken because no one's perfect because we're all going to make mistakes and those mistakes are going to lead to conflict. As long as there is conflict, there's a need for forgiveness. But sadly, oftentimes we hold on to that bitterness instead. This is why Christ shook his disciples by the collar and told him, you've got to forgive. Luke 17, he said, you've got to pay attention to yourselves. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And that is a high calling. I don't know if you've thought about the fact that if someone came and sinned against you seven times in a day, you've got to forgive them every single time. If you were just sitting at home, drinking a glass of water in your favorite chair, because that's what you do, you have a kind of a boring life, uh, but you're drinking that water in your chair and your friend comes into your house and just smacks the water out of your hand and then stands there and says, I'm sorry. <laughs> you'd have to forgive him, right? Which some of, most of us maybe would be like, okay, yeah, that's... That's fine. I don't know how you got in here. I don't know who gave you a key, but that's fine. Right? And you pour yourself another glass of water. He's like, just bygones be bygones. Water under the... Pfft. And he knocks it out of your hand again. He says, I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I forgive you again, right? But Jesus says, you've got to do that seven times. And he's not saying this to mean then, but the eighth time, ooh, you get to smash that water on his head, right? Like, that's not, that's not the point. He's not saying, you know, but the eighth time, no forgiveness. He's saying, you just need to always forgive. Continually forgive seven times in a day. Even if this one person does the same thing to you seven times in a day, you still forgive. Because he says our lives should be known by its forgiveness. That should be part of our characters, our ability to forgive another person. And the disciples realized this is an incredibly difficult task. And so I love their response. In the next verse, they say to him, Lord, increase our faith. Which is interesting because they don't say increase our ability to forgive, right? Maybe that would be my reaction. Maybe that would be your reaction. Lord, you should just give me the power to forgive. Help me forgive, right? No, they don't ask for that. They say instead, Lord, increase our faith. Because the disciples understood that my extension of forgiveness is intrinsically interwoven with my experience of forgiveness, That's why Matthew 6 that we read at the beginning tells us, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He says in Mark, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Christ is not addressing salvation. That would not make sense. Instead, Christ is addressing the fact that if I do not experience forgiveness, it will hinder my ability to extend it and vice versa. 
if I refuse to extend forgiveness to someone who did something to me, it will hamper my experience of God's forgiveness. It's not salvation. I'm still righteous in the eyes of God. I am still saved by the blood, by the sacrifice of Christ. But my experience of God's forgiveness will be impeded. It will be broken. That relationship, my position is the same, but my relationship will be tarnished. And we see this play out, right? We actually see this in our normal daily lives. Uh, Recently in Newington, Connecticut, on Christmas Eve, this past uh, Tuesday, some guy was driving through Starbucks and he decided uh, when he was buying his, you know, mango tango frappuccino, no, uh, he ordered it and then he gave them money for the person behind him. He said, you know what? I'm not only going to pay for my drink, I'm going to pay for the next person in line. And so that person came through, they were like, wow, that's awesome. And then they paid for the person behind them and that person paid for the person behind them until eventually that whole day, all of Christmas Eve, all of Tuesday went by, everyone paid for the next person. Until Thursday, they opened back up day after Christmas. And starting in the morning, everyone started paying for the person behind them. Until yesterday morning is the last point that I've checked up on the story. Yesterday morning... They had gone through over 950 customers in a row who had all paid for the person behind them because they were driving in line. They order their drink. They give it. The person tells them, look, someone already paid your debt, right? Your account is is clean. You don't owe me anything for that drink. They experienced that forgiveness of their debt. And then they decided, you know what? I want to give it to the next person. Let's keep it going for over 950 people at least. Those people were maybe believers, maybe non-believers. I don't know. There's something deep within us where we realize that God has wired us that when we experience forgiveness, we extend it. And to set a record, next closest thing of that ever happening was at some place in Canada. Uh, It was like 200 people. So take that, Canada. (laughs) Look who's nice now. 950 people. Because we know that when I experience incredible forgiveness, I should extend it to someone else. And God is telling us our relationship with him functions in that way. He has graciously set up our relationship with him to where we seek forgiveness from him continually. He could have set it up where once you put your faith in Christ, that boom, you're forgiven. You never have to confess anything ever again. But he didn't. Because he wants us to come back and back, and back, and set up a pattern and a habit so that we would take that same forgiveness and extend it to the people around us. So that we as Christians could live differently than the world. This is why Jesus tells us, probably best terminology is Jesus. In John 13, he says to his disciples, specifically to Peter, he says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. Right here, Jesus is cleaning, uh, washing his disciples' feet. And Peter, uh, being the go-getter of the bunch, he says, Jesus, you should just wipe me all down. Take, clean it all. He says, I want to be all clean. I want you just to wash head to toe, everything. And Jesus tells him, hey, just sit back down. Put your robe back on. You know, like, just chill, <laughs> chill out. And he tells him, look, no, the, the thing is, Peter, you don't need to worry about that. He says, you've bathed. He's saying, Peter, when you put your faith in me, you are bathed. You are righteous. He says, you do not need to wash except for your feet. 
Because Jesus was telling his disciples, you live in a dirty world. We live in a broken, dirty world. And even as believers, even as Christians who are positionally righteous before God, our feet are going to get dirty. Because we're walking around. And we're going to pick up gunk. We're going to pick up sin that we commit, that other people commit against us. Our feet will get dirty. And Jesus says, let me wash it. Let me wash your feet. Come back to me because your feet will be dirty. The truth is, is that many times we can experience a disconnection from the Lord. Many times we feel like maybe God and I aren't really buddy-buddy right now. We don't really feel like we're right clicking. You know, we're not really in sync. For me personally, that was, uh, there was a time when I was back in junior high ministry here at Grace. And I'll tell you, uh, there's nothing like junior high ministry to really shake your faith tree. Okay. Like they're just day in, day out. There's just kind of stuff happening. And so in the midst of that, there was one evening where I was setting up our gym. I was setting up sound equipment and chairs, getting ready for Sunday, late Saturday night. And I was just pulling all the stuff out and whatever had been going on, I can't even really remember what it was. But there was just something weighing on my heart, on my mind, and I was frustrated. I didn't feel connected to the Lord, and I just laid on the ground, just flat on the ground. I just started like yelling at God, and it wasn't like this like beautiful like religious like holy like oh Jehovah Jireh you are so good you know like nothing, nothing where you're like oh wow that that Jacob you know no this was just laying on the ground and yelling like a crazy person uh, in anger. I just, ah, just letting it out. Because in that moment, I just felt this disconnection from the Lord. And we see this in our lives. We see it in our biblical figures. We see it in the life of David, the man after God's own heart, in Psalm 13, screaming, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We experience pain and we experience heartache and we experience a disconnection from the Lord. And please hear me when I say that many times, not every time, but many times, this disconnection can be the product of unforgiveness in our hearts. Or it can be the product of an unconfessed sin that I've committed. Because God has warned us. God has told us, your feet will get dirty, so come back. And when we don't do that, our relationship becomes tarnished. And our accuser, our enemy, the devil literally means the accuser. And he will come into your life and he will say, look at your feet. He says, look at what you said. Look at what you did. Look at what you thought. You think God can love you? You think other people will love you? You think you deserve all of these things after you said that? And we bind to those lies and we find ourselves focused entirely on our feet when God's holding out forgiveness right in front of us. 
So hear me when I say, please seek that forgiveness. Don't focus on your dirty feet. Don't you dare focus on someone else's and withhold forgiveness because their feet are too dirty. Instead, we need to receive forgiveness. We need to follow the words of John that if we just confess our sins that God is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are called to confess every sin to God Not because a lack of confession will mean that I will no longer go to heaven. Not because a lack of confession means that I'm not saved. Only because that lack of confession could impede my relationship. My position of righteous stays. My relationship with God can be tarnished. He says not only should you be confessing to the Lord, we then see James tell us to confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James is telling us, look, after you get right with God, you need to get right with the people around you. If I have committed a sin, I should confess that. Maybe to my accountability partner. Possibly to the person I committed the sin against. There are certain sins that maybe it's not always safe or a good time to make that happen. But when that time is right, when the position is safe, When it would be helpful to confess, you should do so. Because then you may be healed. That is why Paul tells us in Ephesians to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul's just saying we need to experience, we have experienced incredible forgiveness through Christ. Therefore, extend it. Extend it to one another. God wants us to stand in his righteousness while still seeking his forgiveness. Because it is only through confession that we can experience the forgiveness that we will have to extend to others. So as we close this morning, as we're wrapping up the year of 2013, I would just encourage you to take a moment and confess to the Lord. Take some time tonight. We're about to take a time right now, but take some time tonight or tomorrow morning in your quiet time or on your commute, on your drive back home to whatever state you came from. Confess to the Lord. Confess sin. Ask for forgiveness because he'll give it so quick. He's just. He's gracious. He's righteous. And then even more so, maybe you have a sin that was committed against you, that you need to have a tough conversation with whoever perpetrated it. Or maybe you sinned against someone else and you just need to have a tough conversation where you ask for their forgiveness. The Bible is clear. We as believers do not only confess to the Lord, we confess to one another. So take some time. Think about where does that conversation need to happen? How can the Lord empower you to make it happen? So let's pray. God, we thank you that there is no sin too great to remove us from your love. Lord, we thank you that there is no, there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing we can say that will disqualify us from salvation. But Lord, we recognize that there are fractures in our relationships with one another. That God, there are fractures in our relationship with you. 
that have been caused by sin in our life or in others' lives. So God, we just ask that we would be faithful to go to you, to confess those sins. God, to gain that forgiveness. God, to, to bring that healing. Lord, we know that it is only by your grace, by your power, that that forgiveness is made possible. So God, please use your spirit. Work through the spirit that every Christian receives to bring love and joy and peace and patience. To bring those amazing traits into our relationships. To cover over the sins. To bring forgiveness instead. If you would take a moment and just ask the Lord to forgive you. Confess to him. I know it's weird and maybe not something you do regularly, but... Confess to the Lord maybe some sin that maybe he brought up into your mind over, over the course of this morning. Ask him for forgiveness while knowing that he is just and righteous, that he will forgive you. He is faithful to forgive. So ask him for that right now. And if you would take a moment and just ask the Lord if there's a tough conversation that needs to happen between you and another person. If there's maybe some bitterness, if there's some unforgiveness, ask the Lord to reveal to you if there's an area in your life or a person in your life that you need to talk to. Ask him to not only reveal that person to you, but then to give you an opportunity to speak into that situation, the strength to speak into that situation. God, we thank you that we forgive only because you first forgave us. That, God, we love only because you first loved us. God, let us always remember the love and forgiveness that we have found by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would bless these days. God, bless our travels home. pray this all according to your will. Amen. All right, well, next week we are back to our normal schedule where we have two services at each campus. Uh, Other than that, hope you guys have a wonderful rest of 2013.